I can't get no satisfaction, but I've tried, I've tried, and I've tried. All right, Rolling Stones, it's a song that came out, was released, ready for this, 50 years ago, yesterday. Yesterday. So 50 years uh, old. My mom told me that a lot of things uh, were released in 65. Um, I'll take her word for that. You get that yet? You know when I was released? 65, Karen, it was 65, long time ago. And the Rolling Stones, they're like still in uh, concert, right? They're going to be here in Orlando, uh, a concert series brought to you by Geritol. Um, I'm very, very glad that they're able to get out there. How old are they? I mean, if it was 50 years ago, they released that song. I mean, they're, they're like 102, aren't they? Um, but anyway, hey, the preacher teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes, we've been going through this book and this preacher teacher, that's what he calls himself. He really could have had this as the theme song for the entire book. It really is, I can't get no satisfaction under the sun. It's a very important phrase is under the sun is, is this is an examination. The book of Ecclesiastes is a look at life and what life is like apart from God here on earth under the sun. And he keeps saying, I, you know what? It's all vanity. I just, I can't get any satisfaction. But I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. We know that the preacher has tried. He's tried wisdom. But the wisdom that he was able to get under the sun, it couldn't fix what is broken. You're going to find that in your life too. That wisdom is so important, but even the most wise of us still just can't fix Everything that's broken inside of us and in this world. He tried, he tried not just wisdom, he tried pleasure. But he realizes he tried pleasure in all that the world had to offer. The wine, the women, the song, all of it. He realized that pleasure couldn't fill what was empty in his world and heart. There was just an eternity inside his heart that couldn't be filled. The preacher also tried work and toil, but it was like herding cats. He couldn't gain what he was longing for. So in the midst of a crazy life and a really remarkable book where you can't find any satisfaction under the sun, God speaks to us. And he says, I'm going to give you a gift, a gift of life that that in the world that can't find satisfaction, we can know and taste and embrace and live with joy. Joy that God is with us. And, And we realize that The joy that we all long for is not found under the sun. It's found in the sun, S-O-N, the sun, Jesus, in God and and fearing him and loving him and, and knowing him. As a matter of fact, this incredible book actually commands us in the midst of a world where you can't find satisfaction to live life joyfully. To, to eat your bread with joy, to drink your, your wine with a merry heart, to, to enjoy your loved ones, to enjoy life. How do we do it? I guess if we were a good Brit, they might say this to us, according to the passage. Keep calm and carry on. Keep calm and and carry on. We live in a broken world. Uh, We live in a place that the disaster is all around us. And yet, the Bible passage before us today will say, we need to have a calm heart. Because a calm heart is a wise heart. And a calm heart in the midst of fools who are doing foolish things and even our own lives and our own foolishness. But ultimately, the story of the Bible is this. God is in control. Keep calm. 
Our king is reigning. Our king has come and, and he's defeated our enemies. Keep calm. He tells us he's coming back for us. In the midst of your life right now, in the midst of all the things that you want to sing over saying, I just can't find satisfaction here. Jesus whispers into each one of our ears and says, what you're longing for and what you're looking for, you could only find in me. Keep calm and carry on. I'm in control. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Ecclesiastes 9, we're going to pick up where we left off, 9.13. We're going to read through chapter 10. And this is one of the hardest, most difficult passages in all of Ecclesiastes. If you've been journeying with us, you know that this whole book has been somewhat of a challenge. Incredibly beautiful, but a difficult passage to say the least. Lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, no, this is going to have more things like you know, flies and snakes and birds. But wait to hear what God's word has for us. We're going to pick it up in verse 13 and read through chapter 10. Hear the word of the Lord. The preacher writes, I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me that there was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it, the city, a poor wise man, and by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. Let's just, let's just hit pause here. It's, a, it's an interesting story. He tells us within a story of a city that's being rescued by a poor wise man. And I want you to go back, and, and if you have your Bibles, look again at verse 11. Because 11 is going to remind us of what we see under the sun. That the race is not won to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happens to them all. And here you see a story that kind of shows us. That the battle was not won by the strong. But you also see a wise man who's described as poor. So poor, his wisdom hasn't earned him a bread or hasn't earned him favor in anyone's eyes. It's kind of an example of what has happened. Let's pick up the story again in verse 17. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. We're going to talk more about that in a moment. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offense to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and as and it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places. Don't we see that? And the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on grounds like the slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, 
and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who carry, uh, quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. The words of the wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A a fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he knows not the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princesses feast in the morning, or in other words, they're drunk all day. Happy are you, O Lord, O land, when your king is the son of nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens the heart. And here we go, and money's the answer for everything. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king. Nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Or maybe in today's translation, be careful what you tweet. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for a book like Ecclesiastes. We thank you for a book that so honestly looks at life apart from you under the sun and comes to the rightful conclusion that it seems all vanity. Where in the world can we find satisfaction? Because we're not the only ones who have tried and tried and tried. And who many times in our life want to cry out, say, I just can't get any. God, only can we find satisfaction in you. Because you're the one who has made us and made us for yourself. Only can we find satisfaction in not only knowing and loving you, but but knowing your word and and what you require of us and and how you love us. And so here we find ourselves again in, in, in what many commentators say is one of the most confusing passages of all of Scripture. Where it seems like the preacher, maybe it's Solomon, he just seems to ramble all over the place and, and say a bunch of different things. What are we supposed to learn from this? Well, God, only you could teach us because this is your word. So would you be the teacher again this morning? And would you be pleased by the power of your Holy Spirit and the gospel to to speak through a broken sinner like me? That God, you and only you could do this, that you would give us minds to understand your word, even when it's hard like this. And that God, you would give us hearts to embrace your love, even when it's not as clear as this passage sometimes is not as clear. And God, would you even use this in a way that, that causes us to walk by faith in a, in a manner worthy of your name? And every week, God, I'm in great danger of saying things that are heretical and wrong. And every week, I'm in great danger of just injecting my opinion into your word. And I acknowledge that. But that won't do any of us any good. And so, God, the things that I say that are wrong or, or just uh, my opinion, will those things fall away and be forgotten? But the things that are said that are true and 
that bring out the truth of this passage and point us to the beauty of your son, would you use those things to make us more like Jesus, your son, our savior? And it's in his matchless and holy name that we pray. Amen. You'll find an outline in your bulletin if you want to follow along with me. Again, keep calm and carry on. In the midst of a world gone mad is is my sermon title. Uh, It was actually a motivational poster that was printed in, uh, by the British government in 1939, uh, preparing their people for war. Uh, you could see uh, it had that, that Tudor logo on it. It looked very similar to the outline right there. Uh, they, they printed out 2.45, or 2.5 million copies of these. And really anticipating uh, the German Blitzkrieg, and, and, and anticipating what they would come and invade England, and they were never really used. Uh, matter of fact, uh, sometimes they thought people thought they were a little bit trite and a little bit simple for what was going on. Uh, they got most of them got recycled. Most of them just took the paper and, and recycled the paper during the war. But a few of them were left over. And in 2000, they were discovered. And in 2000, they were discovered. And we do which only we can do. We commercialized it, right? And so it became a commercialized hit. And everybody, I mean, you can probably have a coffee mug or a shirt. I mean, keep calm and carry on. And then a tagline that goes on with that over several, several things. Well, the passage we have before us, if there is one overarching thing of not finding satisfaction in the midst of this world, would be this. Keep calm and carry on. Your world's gone nuts. Everything around you is broken. You're not home yet. You've got so many broken pieces, so do I, so much incomplete things. There's so much stuff in this world that is so puzzling and difficult. And yet God tells us in the midst of all of that, what he wants for us, his people to do, is listen, carry on and keep calm. Or keep calm and, and carry on. How do we do it? Well, true to all of scripture, this, this passage will lead us to our hearts. Because uh, the heart is the heart of the matter. Uh, when we find the heart, we find the heart of the matter, and, and that will lead us in all things. We see Scripture is always about the matter of our heart. He's going to tell us in verse 10-2, he's going to say that the wise heart is going to go in the right direction. It's going to basically say, the wise heart will lead you right, and the foolish heart will lead you left. Now, I know many of you want to just jump to political conclusions here. Say, see, the Bible tells us where we need to be on the right side of the aisle. But it's not really a political thing whatsoever. we got to look at the word right. The word right in the Bible and the word right in history, the right side is the side of power. My right hand, my right arm, Scripture says. It's the right side is the right side of authority. It's also the right side is the side of honor. Scripture tells us that Jesus now is at the right side of the Father. He's there as the powerful king. He's there as the one with honor. So the right side is the side to to be on in Scripture. And then the left side. Do you know what the word sinister means? The word sinister, really, if you look that up, it'll mean one of them is left-handed. And so those of you who are left-handed, you're not sinister because you're left-handed, but that's the way the world has viewed this. But the more important is of right or left, politically right or left, sinister or not, is this. How's your heart? How's your heart? Because God cares way more about your heart than he does your actions. 
You see, you can have actions with a bad heart, but with a good heart that flows into good actions, good right living is really pleasing to God. See, what he cares most about us is, is, is that heart. And so that's what we're targeting today. Keep calm and carry on. Well, how do we do that? Well, knowing a wise heart is both powerful and vulnerable. Did you hear what was unpacked for us? It's pretty amazing. I thought about wisdom and thought about maybe we should kind of define it together. And to me, this is, this is just me very quickly in a rudimentary way saying this. Wisdom is knowledge for timely living. Wisdom is knowledge for timely living. It's not only knowing the right thing, but it's doing the right thing. That's wisdom. So God's word is saying we got to have a wise heart. But know this, it's a wise heart is both powerful and vulnerable. Let's look at the fact that wisdom is powerful. It says in this little story that was told us that wisdom of a poor man saves a little city with a few people in it from a great king who put together a great siege against it. I hope that comes easily to your mind's eye. He's just picturing this little city, this little insignificant space with very few people. And he pictures this great king, this warrior king who comes in against this little city and and building up a siege work against it. You could probably see the catapults coming and all the things being built around the city to, to engulf it and to basically strangle it. In the midst of this great king with a great power, there's one wise guy, wise poor man, who's able to win the day. Pretty impressive what he was able to do. And yet, wisdom won the day. Yet it says, no one remembered the poor man. That's great. No one remembered him. Not only that, they said his wisdom they actually despised and his words they didn't listen to. That's the world we live in. Saying this, doing the right thing for others is often unappreciated and maligned. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised that when you do the right thing, someone turns on you and, and makes fun of you. Don't be surprised that the world doesn't have any idea uh, how to respond to godly wisdom. The world didn't. It says, wisdom is better than might in 9.16. That it's better to have brains than brawn, right? It's, it's rather have wisdom is better than might. Brains over brawn. But then it says, but don't forget, a dead fly spoils the entire ointment. You know, just one fly in your Chardonnay, the whole thing's gone. It's basically saying just a little bit of folly goes a ridiculously long way. Have we not seen it? Have we not seen someone whose entire life was built up and they're doing so many wise things and then this one act of stupidity and say, oh my goodness, look at what's been undone. It's amazing what a little bit of folly can do. We've seen that in our own lives. We've seen that certainly in the political realm and all of a life around us. In verse 10-1, a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Say it, pause again. That's the world we live in. I don't think we should be terribly surprised when wisdom isn't winning the day. The Bible tells us that wisdom is stronger. It's stronger. It's, it's mighty. It's powerful. That, that wisdom's the way to go. But we live in a world where fools and foolishness are all around us and within us. The words of the wise, it says, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler. You know what just jumped in my mind? 
Anybody Office fans here? I'm the only Office fan. Gosh, I can't wait for the older service. Thank you. Remember when Dwight Schrute had to give her a, a, a congratulations uh, award? He won an award and he had to stand up and Jim told him that people listen more when you pound the podium and you scream out loud. And he gave him a Mussolini speech to practice to get him ready for that. I mean, really, who wants to be yelled and screamed at by a ruler? Is that the way to really win the day? And God's word is going to say, listen, quiet words, quiet words of a wise man are a lot more powerful than some fool just screaming. What have you screamed in your life? What are the things that have caused you to get so angry to scream and pound your fist? How much wisdom is there? Gosh, I have too many in my life I could look to. And it basically says that, listen, that that quiet wisdom is going to be better than a ruler who's pounding his fist. And yet the anger of rulers rise against us. And the anger is all around us. I mean, we can't get away from it. And yet in the midst of the reality saying this, well, the world is broken. The world is messed up. It's going to be run by fools in many ways under the sun without God. But here's what God's word says. But keep calm and carry on. How? Having that wise heart. Knowing the wise heart is powerful yet vulnerable. It's powerful, yet vulnerable. It's powerful because that's what God told us to live, but it's vulnerable to a world that, that is, is just crazy around us. The second thing is this, knowing that a foolish heart is both harmful and escapable. And now again, it's pretty obvious a foolish heart is harmful. It says in verse three that a foolish heart lacks sense. And I love what it says. A foolish heart lacks sense and, and a fool clearly communicates what he is. A fool. In verse 3, it says, everyone knows. He says to everyone, is how it's translated, that he's a fool. Have you seen those kind of people? I mean, you can spot them a mile away, right? I mean, just open your mouth and you say, oh, I know what kind of person you are. Watch them live. Oh, I got you. And that is what a fool does. He harms himself, his reputation. It says in verse 14, a fool multiplies his words, but he has no knowledge. He could babble about a whole lot of things, but there's no real knowledge of wisdom and what God says is wisdom. In verse 15, it says, a fool, a fool toils himself. He wears himself out, but he can't even find his way home. He can't find his way out of a paper box. He just can't get home. That's what the Bible describes of a life without God. And yet, under the sun, the foolish heart is inescapable. It's everywhere. We're born with one. We will continue to have one unless God's grace gives us a new one. Folly, it says, is in many high places. Verse 6. Let me ask you this question. Have you seen folly in many high places? Have you seen them in your workplace? Have you seen them in the church? Have you seen them in government? I mean, have you seen them on uh, the boards of Little Leagues? Have you, have you seen folly in, in, in the art museum? Have you seen folly in everywhere you have gone? I mean, God is so wonderfully clear about what life is going to be like without him in a cursed world. You're going to find folly and foolishness in some of the highest places. And that's just the reality of the world we live in. It's inescapable. It's almost hard to even get away from it. Where can we go? It says this. It's very interesting. Woe to you, land, when your ruler or king is a fool. It basically says a child, someone who, who is foolish in their thinking. But fools and folly are everywhere under the sun. And again, we can't just toss 
stones at all the foolish ones out there. We have to realize what Scripture says about each one of us apart from God. We have to realize what Scripture says, each one of us, where we start as well, how we're so prone to play the fool and be the fool and only redeemed by God's grace. You see, in the midst of this, in the midst of this whole thing, what, what the writer of Ecclesiastes, what the story of the Bible is going to tell us is that the fear of God, the love of God, the trust of God is the beginning of all wisdom. The only way that we'll ever know what is true, what is right, is to know God and to know his love for us in Christ Jesus. I mean, you could try to conquer all of the world's problems and solve all the world's equations and be wise as the world can ever see. But without God, Scripture tells us, without a relationship with Jesus Christ, all of us are fools. Interesting, Jesus is the wisdom of God. And in Christ Jesus, we now have his wisdom. And it says that the world will look at us and see us as, ready for this, fools. Foolishness for what you believe. You're going to tell me you believe in a God who created everything out of nothing? You're going to tell me you believe in a God who would love you enough to send his own son, eternal son, to come and and to rescue you by being born in a manger? You're going to tell me that you believe that Jesus lived the life you were supposed to live? Are you going to tell me that you believe that Jesus died an atoning death on the cross, that he became your sin so you could become his righteousness? You're going to tell me that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, that a dead man got up from a grave and walked around and was seen by up to 500 people and was on earth for 40 days and ascended into heaven, you're going to tell me that you believe that Jesus is right now reigning and ruling for you in heaven? You're going to tell me you believe that this king is coming back for you one day? That is your story? If you are, that's the wisdom of God. It's the story of the Bible. That's the gospel. That's it. And that's our hope. And what does the world think of us? We're fools. We've been bamboozled. We're weak. Blessed are the weak. Blessed are the meek who would believe this craziness of a God who would love sinners like us this deeply, this profoundly, this beautifully. Having a wise heart, knowing that wisdom is powerful, yet very vulnerable, knowing that foolishness is harmful, yet inescapable. But then there's this one passage that's right in the middle of this that we can't miss. We're waiting for the return of a noble king. Did you see what this says? It says, happy are you, O land and people, when your king is the son of nobility. What do you think that was being said here? I mean, those who knew the Old Testament, those who knew the promises of God, they would know that this son, this king, who's a son of nobility, this is one of the promises, the main promises of the Bible. A Davidic promise, a promise to King David that, that through David's line, there would be a noble king that would come. Through David's line, there'd be a king. And this king will forever reign over his kingdom. His kingdom will come to no end. And as you read through the Old Testament, you realize David himself wasn't very noble. I mean, the guy was an adulterer and a murderer. And his sons, they all had issues and problems. And yet there's this overarching promise that there's a king is going to someday emerge that's going to truly be noble, that's really going to make us and the land rejoice because he's come. See, that's the story of the Bible. I mean, the story of the Bible is a story of a king who comes from his pe- for his people. 
The story of the Bible is a, is a son of someone who's noble. It's God's eternal son named Jesus who's going to come and he's going to battle God's and our enemies. That's the story of the Bible. Jesus. Jesus who will come and give his life, death, and resurrection to give us victory and through what he has done. Christian, the overarching story of the Bible is this. Keep calm and carry on. Our king has won the battle. He truly has defeated even death. And he promises, and he keeps his promise, to come back for us. And he promises to make all things new and all things right. What your wisdom can't do, his can. What your righteousness can't do, his can. And he will do it. It says our king is, is coming back, and we are now living, waiting for his return. So how do we live? Scripture is pretty clear about that too. Well, here's how we wait. We wait, we wait in prayer. We pray to him every day in the Lord's prayer. We should be praying. God, we pray your kingdom come. Jesus, the rule and reign, your reign kingdom come. Where on earth as it is in heaven. Come today. Come in more fullness. Come. Come, Lord Jesus. What are we to seek over all things in our lives? That king's kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and and all these things shall be added unto you. This kingdom is so precious is that Scripture tells us in the the kingdom parables in Matthew 13, verse 46, that, that we should sell everything we have. Basically, that we should hold loosely and get rid of anything that comes between us and Jesus to get this pearl of great price, to be known as a child of a king, to be forgiven and loved and redeemed. That is what life is all about. And we should sell everything out and make sure that we get it. You know, it's interesting. Jagger sings, I can't get no satisfaction, but I tried and I tried and I tried and I tried. That's exactly the words of the preacher in Ecclesiastes. I can't get any satisfaction. And I tried and I tried and I tried and I tried. Listen, this is amazing. You got to hear this. Satisfaction is not found in our efforts. It's found in our faith. And faith, specifically in Jesus, the object of God's and our satisfaction. Did you hear that? I mean, the object of our faith needs to be Jesus because in Jesus, in Jesus alone, do we find the satisfaction of the Father and our satisfaction Satisfaction is here and here alone under the sun. And it's in the sun. An ultimate satisfaction that we all still long for will be only fulfilled and it will ultimately be fulfilled in the return of our king. Verse 17, happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your priest, I'm sorry, your princess feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Do you know who the princes are in the story of the Bible in Christ Jesus? Do you know who the princesses are? You and me. Unbelievable. We're a part of this royal family and, and happy should we be that Jesus loves us. Happy are we that our king has come and he, he has conquered and he will conquer. And we now We're part of a family of a king who's a son of nobility. 
We are his princes and princesses. And he calls us to feast at the proper time. Well, Jesus, our king, the noble son, gave us a meal to feast upon. At the proper time, so we can gather in his name and remember who he is and what he has done for us. A meal that that makes us more like that king and empowers us to advance his kingdom. But it's a meal only for those who can say, happy are those who know that king and what he has done for us. Keep calm. Carry on. Our King Jesus is on the throne. Let us pray. Father God, would you come, would you feed your people, not only through your word, which we just heard, but also, God, through the meal, which we're about to partake of. God, we thank you for this tangible reminder that Jesus is that noble son that we long for, that noble king who would come. That Jesus is the one who is the wisdom of God. And in him and him alone, we could have a wise heart. And in him and him alone, we could keep calm and, and carry on. And God, I pray your Holy Spirit would come and you would move in our hearts that we would first be able to please you by giving our tithes and offerings, not because we're trying to earn something, but because we've received everything. And that you'd be pleased to, to use our tithes and offerings to advance Christ's kingdom. But God, we pray that we give you even more as we come and we partake of the Lord's Supper, that we would give to you what you already rightfully own, our very lives. And that we would come to you and say, God, give me a wise heart that remains calm in a world that's gone mad and longs for you to come back as we carry on the good news of the gospel. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.